Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Exodus chapter 18, if you have a Bible with you this morning. Exodus, the 18th chapter. If you do not have a Bible, there are some on the table back there, blue or black in color, I'm not sure, but they are for you to take if you need. If you know someone who has need of a Bible, please take and give them one. Exodus chapter 18. As we started our journey through Exodus, uh, we have been focusing on the theme that God delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. This is what God does. God does not simply leave us In the bondage we are born into, the bondage and wage of sin, God delivers his people from that bondage. God redeems them because delivering them would not be enough. His people need to be redeemed. And so God redeems us, and we know through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it is not enough that God removes us from the bondage we are born into and cannot get out of, if it's not enough that he redeems us with the blood of his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God dwells with his people. He is near to us. He is not far. He dwells with his people. We have not yet fully begun examining God dwelling with his people. Uh, At this moment in Exodus 18, we are before the mountain of God. He has not given the Ten Commandments yet, but a little bit of background. As we started our journey in Exodus, we considered, all the way back in Exodus chapter 1, probably about a year ago right now, we considered how God built a nation. Early in Exodus, the Bible tells us that the Israelite people, the sons of Jacob, go into Egypt. They are 70 persons in all. We learn that as they are in Egypt in Exodus 1, they grew strong and filled the land. They became too many and too mighty for the Egyptians. When God brought them out of Egypt in Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, from 70 persons in all in their possessions and whoever was with them, from 70 persons in all in Exodus 1 to Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, the Bible says that the nation of Israel left 600,000 men on foot despite not counting the women and children. So they are a nation we can safely estimate of perhaps a million or more people, a million point two, and that's just if every man on foot has a spouse. And they believed in prolific families, which apparently we do around the village too, because there's a whole lot of big families here today. But if, they, if every man has a spouse, they're 1.2. If every man has a spouse and they have four or five or nine kids, somebody else can do that math later on. I can't do it on the fly. How encouraging for us to think that through great trial. Pastor, why are you going on about how many people? Well, it's really important to our message today, but I want us to understand this. Do you ever feel like you're alone as a Christian? You ever just feel isolated as a Christian? God's people were in bondage, the Bible says, for 400 years. And through bondage and great trial, God built a people. He delivered them. He redeemed them. He will dwell with them. Praise God that he multiplies his people in trial. I want you to think this morning as we begin our time in God's word, I want you to think about all the people you know. Don't look at me. Look in your head. Think about all the people you know. I want you to think about all the people you know. Now I want you to think about talking to all of the people that you know. Okay? Think about all the people you know. Think about talking to all of the people that you know. Think about talking to all of the people that you know in order to give them advice, in order to make a decision, 
in order to help settle a dispute, to give counsel, okay? All of the people you know, talking to all the people you know, and talking to all the people you know in order to help them with some kind of problem. Are you exhausted yet? I have six children, four daughters. I do this every day. I want you to think about all the people you know. I want you to think about talking to all the people you know. I want you to think about talking to all of the people you know about all of their problems and helping them come to some sort of solution. And I want you to think about doing that every day. In the early 90s, British anthropologist Robin Dunbar and some researchers put forward a proposition that one person has the capacity for around 150 quality relationships. That, that a person can maintain 150 quality relationships. You can have more, but the quality starts to go down. If you have less, the quality goes up. If that is true, I am at about my capacity as a person with this room. Okay, I just want, I want, this is really important, so I want you to be thinking about this. There's typically 160 chairs set up in this room. They're not all full, so good. You get to have a more quality relationship with me. But that's it. Like, above that, it's going to start to degrade, and below that, it starts to improve. 150. Exodus chapter 18. Would you please read with me as we read Exodus 18, 13 through 27. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is it that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now, obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any matter, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of, Israel, out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case, they brought to Moses, but any small matter, they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, as we look to your word, I ask for your help. I know that I'm not able to make sense or help convey anything that will help these here gathered, let alone my own soul. Father, I pray that you would speak to me as you speak through me. And I pray, Father, that those gathered would be edified through the teaching of your word today. Father, I pray as your word is taught in many places and specifically here. Father, I pray that it would humble sinners to repentance and salvation. 
And I pray, Father, that the holiness of your people would be promoted, that we would be holy as you are holy. And I pray, Father, that Christ the Savior would be exalted in all that we say and do. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I titled the sermon because I could not find something from the text like I like to do. Following Exodus chapter 1, God builds a nation. I titled today's sermon, God Organizes a Nation. As we give our attention to God's word today, I hope to show that it has always been God's design for the people of God to be under the watchful care and teaching of men of God under the authority of God. <clears throat> Congratulations, you all just came to a church government class. Yay. <clears throat> church government is not a topic that many are interested in. I love it. Uh, it's not one that interests many. In fact, in our day, if you were to take a sample of many churches as you survey the church landscape, you will find people that want less and less to do with government in the church. Now, I want to be clear. When I say government, I do not mean the laws of the land. I mean God's laws followed by God's people from God's word. Church government is something that we may not like, we may not be interested in. However, we see that by God's design, the government that God has established for his people in ancient Israel and for us, the church today, brings greater glory to God as we follow his word. Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 18, Jethro sees trouble. I want to set the, the setting for us, give the context for those that may not have been here last week. Uh, if, if you want to go back, you can listen to sermons if you want to. But we have just examined in Exodus 18, 1 through 12, Jethro and Zipporah, Moses' wife, and his two sons, Gershom and Eliezer, being reunited with Moses. They've come out of Egypt. For the time that Moses was in Egypt, they were separated. Zipporah, his wife, his two sons, with his father-in-law Jethro in the land of Midian. And now they have come back out and been reunited. And we examined last week how Jethro heard about all that God had done and wanted to know more. And Moses told him. And the result of Jethro wanting to hear and Moses telling was the worship of God. So may your talking of the things that God has done produce worship. We left them. Offering sacrifice in verse 12, it says in verse 13, the next day. So where we are biblically is right on the heels of that. They have just spent however long reacclimating to one another, catching up on old times, and tell me all about all that happened in Egypt and coming out and the obstacles in the way. The very next day, Jethro looks out and what he sees is a problem. He wastes no time because when he comes out, he sees Moses. It says, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning to evening. Moses sat to judge the people. How many of us in our American mindset, instantly when we see those words, think, you're not going to judge me. Nobody's going to judge me. So we need to have a right understanding of to judge here. Here, Moses is governing. He's guiding. He's leading. He is arbitrating. He is settling disputes. Remember when I told you to think about all the people that you know, and to think about talking to all the people that you know, and to think about talking to all the people that you know about their problems that you may help them, and you got overwhelmed? Moses. Every day, the very next day, Jethro looks out and sees Moses sitting. I spent a lot of time speculating. We don't have to go into that. Like, what was he sitting on? Where was he sitting? Was the tabernacle fully constructed? There's time and place that we could get into and talk about. But I just wonder, like, did they have some kind of judgment seat? I got to go, go see Moses. Let's go. We, we, let's take it to Moses, right? 
when they couldn't agree on the color of the carpet, they had to go to Moses. We got to go talk to Moses. We got this problem. Paul says that believers should not go before the law of the land when they have a problem. Is there not anyone in the household of God worthy and able to judge these matters for ancient Israel? When a problem came up, they went to Moses and Moses would hear it and Moses would settle it. However, Moses is going to exhaust himself. And all God's people said, you ain't kidding. Moses sat to judge the people. He gives us a clearer picture of what that meant to judge the people in verse 15. Look what it says. Because the people come to me to inquire of God. I made a note. The people come to me to inquire of God, and rightly so. Moses is God's prophet. You can write it down. You can underline it. You can take a note, whatever you want to do. But Moses is God's prophet, and the people are right to go to Moses when they have a question that they need answered. They come to me to inquire of God. I want us to note as we observe this section that Jethro never tries to relieve Moses of doing this. Jethro never tries to stop the prophet of God from doing what the prophet of God is supposed to do. He does not say to him, Moses, this isn't good. Have somebody else do it. He didn't say, Moses, this isn't good. Why don't you give a bunch of what you do to other men and have them do the same thing? No. In fact, in verse 19 and 20, we see that Jethro does quite the opposite. He tells him, you shall do this. You are God's prophet. You will do this. Then Moses tells us how he is doing this. Verse 16, when they have a dispute, I decide between them. I decide between one person and another. I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Pause. That verse, I think it's verse 16, that verse is what causes many scholars and historians to believe that this interaction between Jethro and Moses is happening after the law had already been given. Because as we read it in canon, in chapter 19 and into chapter 20, they're going to get the Ten Commandments. What is, what is Moses judging based on without that? So as you research this, you may come across scholars and researchers saying that they believe this interaction in chapter 18 happened after the giving of the law, and right there is why. And I kind of agree with them, because Moses has no idea how or what to judge the people with unless God gives the law, which he's about to do. So they think this whole thing happened after, and this is kind of a zooming out. As Moses tells the story, he wanted us to have this portion of this story set right here. Moving on. When they have a dispute, I decide between them, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. At this time in Israel's history, no one was better equipped to settle a dispute between God's people than the one to whom the law had been given. And no one was better equipped to guide them in all that God had commanded them to do than the one to whom the statutes were given. I don't think we take into scope the enormity of the situation. Every person in this room, I hope, man, I pray, every person in this room has a Bible in their hands. So I'm able to speak, and you're able to read, and all of us together can take that in at one point in time. Moses was God's only prophet to the people of Israel at the mountain of God, and it was his responsibility to dispense the truth of God as God's prophet to the people. I mean, I'm overwhelmed by just thinking about the sheer volume of what he had to do. He is to settle disputes by God's law. He is to guide them in all that God has commanded. As we see Moses shift, I want to bring us a, a bit of application. As we see Moses shift 
from deliverer, these are key words that I'm saying, as we see Moses shift from deliverer to shepherd, I want you to see your deliverer and your shepherd. The Bible, and especially the New Testament, is very clear. Jesus, a true and better Moses. Everything that Moses was to the people, Christ is to us, and he is infinitely greater. And all God's people said, amen, let's go home. As we see Moses shift from deliverer to shepherd, I want you to see Christ as your deliverer and your shepherd. Here's comparison for you. Moses is to mediate between God and Israel. Moses is to make known God's word and God's ways to Israel. Moses is to judge the nation. That's Moses. Now I want you to consider on the other side of things, the true and better Moses, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Moses mediates between God and Israel alone. Christ, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, mediates as the only mediator between men and God, the man, Christ Jesus. Moses made known God's word and God's ways only to Israel and those who would enter into covenant relationship with God through Israel. Christ makes God's word and his ways known. John 1.18 tells us he made God known. Everything we see Moses doing, we see better in Christ. Moses only to Israel, Christ to all humanity. But Moses alone could only judge one nation. All of Israel would come to Moses. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 and 32 says that Christ alone will judge all nations. I want you to hear that one. I liked the distinction in it. Moses alone judged one nation. Christ alone judges all nations. Moses, Christ, the true and better Moses. You see, it wasn't what Moses was doing that was troubling. It was how he was doing it. Verse 14, why do you sit alone? We read it and we're just like, oh my goodness. I'm exhausted thinking about it. There's no way any man could do it. In fact, Jethro says to him, you cannot do it alone. You must have help. Jethro observes Moses alone and all the people standing around him all day and effectively says, Moses, you are out of your mind. How many people did you talk to today, Moses? How many people did you effectively listen to today and help? Just, I'm a pastor, and I'm the son of a pastor, and if you've ever been close to pastoral ministry, if you've ever been related to or in a pastor's home, what I'm about to share, you will feel in your bones. How many hospital visits do you think Moses didn't make? How many emails did Moses not respond to? How many phone calls were missed? How many people were let down because Moses alone was carrying the weight I want you to note, Jethro says to him, 17 and 18, Moses, what you're doing is not good. You will certainly wear yourselves out, you and the people with you. The thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. I want us to make note that this is a different Moses 
This is, we must pay attention to it. As scripture moves along, we have to pay attention. Do you remember Moses back in Exodus chapter 3? Moses in Exodus chapter 18 is judging all the people. All the people are coming to him to settle every dispute. But do you remember Moses back in Exodus chapter 3? Not me, Lord. I don't want to do it. Send somebody else. You got the wrong guy. Now all of a sudden here in Exodus 18, Moses went from not wanting to do everything to being the only one doing anything. And Jethro says, Moses, this is not good. It was a reminder to me as I considered that Moses in Exodus 3 and Moses in 18 is not the same. And as I studied, that thought reminded me of Philippians 2 verse 13. That God works in us both to will and to work for his good purpose. As God brought Moses along, while Moses brings the people along, God is working and cultivating inside the man Moses to make what the Bible says was a servant more humble than anyone on the face of the earth. God is working in us, and as God works in us, our will and our work start to conform to the good and pleasing purpose of God. We're seeing that happen here. Jethro sees a problem, and then Jethro gives advice, right? How many of us love the person who goes, you're doing that, that's bad. What do you recommend? Couldn't tell you, but that's not good, right? How often do people give that kind of advice to us? Hey, say what do you got going on over there? Oh, the A, B, C, and D. Wow, that's a wreck. Well, you got a better idea? No. Well, that's not helpful. If Moses only told, if Jethro only told Moses here, wow, what you're doing is really bad, Tell me about it. You got any ideas? Couldn't tell you. No. It's just not good. Right? We feel that. We feel the absurdity of that type of thinking. No. Jethro doesn't just say you have a problem. Jethro sees that Moses has a problem, and Jethro gives Moses advice on the problem. So, first of all, as a point of application for us, we all need advice from time to time, right? Every single person in this room, some of you have called me, and you're well older than me, saying, Pastor, please help. We all need advice. And we seek out all kinds of people to give us advice. May you write this down in the deep recesses of your mind and not forget it. We all need advice from time to time. When you do, get advice from someone like Jethro. Why? Why? Not because he has a solution for Moses. Why seek advice from someone like Jethro? Look what he says in verse hmm, 17. Nope, 19. Now, obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. Look again down in verse 23. If you do this, God will direct you. In verse 23, almost every other translation, other than the English standard that I'm reading from this morning, has something along the lines of, if God directs you, so. As, so, God commands. As, God, so commands. Jethro is not saying, hey, give this a shot, good luck. Jethro is saying to Moses, Hey, do this, but before you do, filter it through the all-wise counselor that you have. Filter it through the best helper you have. Filter it through the counselor, the advice giver, the head, the father. You take what I'm giving you to God, and if God so directs you, praise his name. Don't leave it at what I said. So if you need to take advice from someone, I want to encourage you to take advice from people who will tell you, don't take my word for it. Please go to the Lord and pray on this before you do anything. Seek advice from those people. Oh Lord, help me to be that. He says, I will give you advice 
and God be with you. Moses will continue to be the prophet that God has called him to be, verse 19 and 20. Continue, Moses, you shall represent the people before God because God said so. Let's understand that it's not because Jethro thinks it's good for Moses to do that. God has made Moses his prophet. You shall warn them to walk in his ways, to follow his laws, to be obedient unto God. Moses will continue doing that, but he needs help. And so Jethro says to Moses, verse 21 and 22, moreover, look for, this is fascinating, I made a note on that phrase alone. Long before God spoke through Paul to to Christians about the qualification for men who would be and should be and could be pastors in the church, God spoke through Jethro to Moses. Long before we see the church age even begin, God has had a plan for how to effectively teach and care for his people. And here in Exodus 18, God's speaking through Jethro. Why? Because if God hadn't wanted Moses to do this, one, we know that Moses wouldn't have because he's shown us his character. He's going to do what God tells him to do. And if God says don't do it, he's not going to. Two, he does it. So we have to understand that the advice that comes is under the inspiration of God from Jethro to Moses. He says, moreover, look for what? Able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and men who hate a bribe. A few thoughts on all of these. Not just any man. Look what he says. Moreover, look for able men. But not just any man, an able man. From where? From all the people. Can you imagine Moses? Dude, you're telling me that I can't sit here and judge all the people, and now you're telling me to search through all the people to find able men to do this. What are you talking about? No, hear me out. Find able men from all the people. Able men from all the people. Verse 25 says, out of all Israel, able. What does that mean, able? Showing good judgment, showing good character, showing good discernment. In the midst of calamity, able to think, able to keep his head clear, able to be sober-minded in thought as situations come before. This man is able to have situations come before him. It's interesting Moses is told by Jethro, able men. You'll notice no set age, no specific tribe, no history, no work history, simply able men. And then Jethro gives the qualifiers because it's not just able men. But he says, moreover, look for able men from all the people. First requirement, able. Second requirement, who fear God. If you are not a God-fearing, God-following, God-honoring man, you're out. I don't care how able you are. You're not fulfilling this role. You do not fear God. Along with being able, they must be pious. That's an old word. I would like to reclaim it, but I'll probably never get there. To be pious, to be religiously observant, to be known for. Like, it could be said of you, to give you the example, it could be said of you, you are a pious people because on Sunday you go to church to worship God. Piety. They need to be, simply said, devoted to God. Devout unto the Lord, unto his ways. They must live a reverent life, a life of worship, keeping and demonstrating and growing in the word and ways of God as revealed. Note, a life of worship and adherence to God was just beginning on these pages of scripture. God just redeemed them out of bondage. 
He's brought them out of Egypt across the Red Sea and they're camped before a mountain where there's been trouble from the Red Sea to the mountain. They barely know how to follow God. They know that they were held captive and now they're free. They know that Pharaoh was an enemy, but he's defeated. They know that the Red Sea parted and they crossed on dry ground. They know that when the water was bitter, it was made sweet. When there was no water, God gave it. When there was no food, God gave them food. When the Amalekites came and Moses prayed to God for help, God gave them victory against the Amalekites. That's about all they know. They've just arrived at the mountain to receive the commandments of God. And even while Moses is on the mountain getting the commandments, they're beginning to rebel from God. How to live a godly life was just beginning. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the train wrecks that could have happened if men had not been devoutly searched for by Moses according to these qualifications? Able men from all the people, men who fear God. We're all figuring that out, but others must have had it more figured out. Men who are trustworthy, they must have integrity. How many of us are absolutely sick to death of leaders who have no integrity whatsoever? Like, we go to the polls and we cast votes all the time, and one of the biggest comments is, I don't know if they're going to actually do what they say they're going to do. We question the integrity of people around us all the time because as humanity continues to further separate away from the Lord, their integrity continues to deteriorate rapidly. You talk to business owners, I can't get anybody to work for me. They won't show up. They won't do what they're told to do. They, why? Because there's a lack of integrity in our society. God says, among men who would govern my people, Jethro says to Moses, they must be trustworthy. They must have integrity. They must be reliable. They must be dependable. They must be faithful. If they are entrusted with helping the people and they are not these things, what help will they even be? How many of us ask that when we go to the polls? I don't even know why I'm doing this. What, are they, what good's it even going to do, right? Because we don't trust the people that we have to cast votes for. God says to his people, Israel, you need to trust the men that Moses puts over you. They're selected by this way. He's going to find them and put them over. You need to trust them because they're able. They fear me. They are trustworthy. And they, last thing, hate a bribe. The worker here the servant that will come alongside of Moses and the worker of God today, the man of God today who cares for and manages and oversees and preaches and teaches and cares for God's people must not be a pawn. You cannot be a pawn. You cannot be easily bought by some price, by some I'll do, by some let me scratch your back if you scratch my back. You cannot be a pawn and effectively serve God and effectively care for his people, men who hate a bribe. He must not be for sale to the highest bidder. Pastor, I think you should talk about Christian nationalism more often. Pastor, I think you should preach about America more often. Pastor, I think that you should preach about vaccines more often. Pastor, I think that you should talk about woke society more often. I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm going to open God's word and I'm going to talk about what God wants us to talk about. And I'm going to pray and trust that the Holy Spirit in you will guide you through his word for you to make decisions about those things in your lives. I'm not going to be a pawn to those topics of society when society can't handle those topics on their own. If God's word crosses those topics, you can bet I'm going to unleash on them. Cannot be a pawn. He must hate. The word is hate. Look at hate a bribe. To detest. To refuse any gain by unjust means. Right? 
I want us to think, why is that so important? I want us to think about a leader under Moses who, if he can't settle it, goes to Moses and the prominence in that position. And there's a million point two, two million, 2.5. How many people are in the wilderness right now? And how many people could start talking about something to that one ear? And that one ear could start turning and listening to that decision, that thought, that direction. And what have they done? They're not following the ways in the word of God as Moses is told to do. And these men are also told to do. They start to what? Listen to, we call them today, factions. And what happens? Well, there's no unity. There's no peace. Things are going to get distorted and become an extremely jumbled mess as one person who should be teaching the word and ways of God to the people of God and caring for them gives his attention to something other than the word of God and the ways of God and teaching them to the people. He must not be a pawn. He must be resolute in his ability, resolute in his dependability, resolute in his piety, resolute in his faithfulness, and he must hate a bribe. As we read these things in the Old Testament, it's interesting to note that all across the New Testament, places like Acts, 1 Timothy, Titus, 1 Peter, we can find every one of these qualifications and in greater detail. The list is small in Exodus. It's not small in the New Testament. But everything that's wrapped up in Jethro's advice to Moses comes to the New Testament, to us, to Christians, men who would be over God's people, teaching and caring for God's people, administering the word, admonishing and exhorting and encouraging, must still hold these. This is showing that the spiritual life, when you consider these tenets, the spiritual life of a leader in God's house is more important to God and should be more important to the people than the qualifications they come with from this world. Sometimes, praise God, those two things marry up. But if they don't, we look for qualifications as they are listed in God's word. These men will shepherd the people of God. The people of God are entrusted to them. According to the word of God, they will give the ways of God. And when it is too difficult for them, they will go to Moses. Now, as we all sit here thinking about church government, in its various forms, even represented in this room, we're thinking about So then who is Moses? Who are these men? And there's the people. So we understand that, okay, we're the people, but how does this work out? Pastor, you tell us that you're like Moses? Heck no. No. Moses is a lesser Christ. Christ, the true and better Moses. What God is setting up for his people Israel right here is that they will follow the shepherd, Moses. You're going to do what Moses says. He's going to speak my word. He's going to tell you my ways and you're going to do what he says. And there will be those who serve under Moses. That's where pastors, elders, shepherds, that's where you find church leadership, right? Moses is Christ for them. We look to Christ for them They didn't go to their pastors and their elders. They went to these men that Moses instituted by these qualifications for help. Do you understand now? We go to pastors. Pastors go to Christ. We can see almost a one-for-one in translation from Old Testament to New Testament in this order that God has designed. And for what purpose? Are you still thinking about how many people you know? Are you still thinking about talking to every person you know every day? 
Are you still thinking about every person you know and talking to them every day about some problem they have in order for you to make a decision for them to get through it? This is done, verse 22, so that it will be easier for you, Moses. Jethro saying to Moses, it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. This is absolutely, at the Village Church, we talk about a plurality of elders. We praise God that we have two and we're praying for three and for four and for five and for 20 and 30 and 40 as God provides. This is the epitome of plurality of elders in the Old Testament. It's a shared ministry. What exactly do you and so you and John Collins, like you're the elders of the church, what do you do? We share the responsibility of caring for you and teaching you and the word of God and the ways of God as we look to the prophet Jesus Christ. It's that simple. It's literally that simple. And it's so beautiful. Why? Because think about how many phone calls have been missed. Think about how many hospital visits haven't happened. Think about how many emails have never been responded to. Think about how many people have perhaps even just walked away when they've come saying, teach me the truth, tell me the truth, help me follow God, and there's no one there to talk with them because there's one man burdened with all of the responsibility of caring for all the people like Moses. Are you kidding me? How many of you in this room know that I can't do that? No one man can do that. It's not good that you would do this alone, Moses. So for Moses, for the church now, God sets up a plurality of elders to care for the people. Not just one man bearing all the burdens, not one man bearing all of the ministry, multiple men sharing the ministry, looking to Christ, the chief shepherd. Look at this, verse 23. If you do this, God will direct you You'll be able to endure. Look it. And all this people will go to their place in peace. How many churches aren't at peace because they've got one guy that's carrying the whole thing? I mean, I know so many of you in the room. I've heard so many different stories. I grew up under a pastor, I've been in different churches. How many churches where one man bears the whole weight of everything? There's no peace. There's a lack of unity. There's disunity. There's confusion. And God says, look at my plan. It's so easy. Have men to share that work and to share that ministry. Jethro tells Moses, it'll be better for you. You won't be exhausted Moses, you'll find new joy in doing what you're called to do by God as God's prophet. You won't have to worry about who you didn't get to yesterday and if they're coming back tomorrow because someone is going to be looking out for that person. Oh, beautiful. As we consider Jethro's advice to Moses here and how God organized the nation, placing his people under the watchful care and teaching of godly men under his authority, how that would promote peace among the people, we can see the same principles at work and design by God in the church today. Following the biblical design, we see budding here in Exodus. God is glorified as people together look to shepherds that God has given and look together collectively to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory in the church forever, amen. I don't have enough bandwidth in my mind to help everyone in the front row and there's only two of them. We all together look to Christ and Christ, according to his word, guides us as we look to him. And that glorifies God. Why? Pastor, why would you say that having this type of structure for church government and the church glorifies God? Do you want to know why? Here's one reason. It's the only one. Because it finds its end in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't do it. 
I'm going to labor at it with all I've got until God takes me home or says, sit down, kid. But I can't do it alone. No one man can do it alone. You know who can? Not Moses. It's not good, Moses. What you're doing isn't good. You know who can do it and who will never fail his people? The Lord Jesus Christ. It finds its end in the Lord Jesus Christ every single time. When we as a church don't know what to do, when you come and say, Pastor, what are we going to do? And I say to you, I have no idea. Let's trust Christ. There it is. And Christ is glorified, and God is glorified, and God is lifted high as we say, we don't have any idea, but we look to you, the only wise, immortal, invisible God. And we trust you to lead us. Moses was alone, wearing himself out. Imagine how the people around him felt. You know how they felt. You know when you've called me and I haven't answered. You know when you've sent me an email and I didn't respond until the next day, and you're like, what's the guy doing? What's a pastor do anyways? Just waiting for Sunday to roll around. What's he doing, right? I'm trying to care for as many as I can, right? You know how you feel. You know who doesn't ever let you down in that regard? The Lord Jesus Christ. Never, ever. He never will. And as we trust God and God gives the church more pastors, more shepherds, more elders, oh, that every church would have more pastors. As God gives them, you the people are cared for in a greater way. Not wondering who's listening, who cares, you know someone cares because God has designed it that way. Moses was wearing himself out. Moses could not handle it, but the most holy and eternal son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ says, come to me all. I love those words of our Lord. Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. The Lord Jesus will never tire no matter how many come to him, he will still have something to give to them. He'll never wear himself out. He'll never be exhausted by a weak and needy, destitute people coming to him and saying, Lord Jesus, help me. He's never going to turn you away. Oh, the beauty of Christ. Yet as with Moses, interesting, Moses could not do it alone. Christ alone can only do it. Yet interesting that just as Moses, Christ places men under himself to care for and teach for his people, to promote peace among the people, to teach them his ways that maybe we'll walk in them. The nation of Israel coming out of Egypt had no law. They had no rule. They had no compass. God was giving them all of that. But we, the people of God today, can look at his perfect word, understand what he says because of the spirit of God living in us, and we can follow and do what God says as his people. And so God organized a nation. And out of that nation, he organizes his church still today. God delivers sinners out of bondage. If you're here today and you feel as though you are under an insurmountable weight and everything I'm talking about, you're like, that makes no sense to me. I can't do that. I don't understand any of it. There is a likelihood that the spirit of God is not living inside of you. The Spirit of God opens the eyes of the unbeliever to understand and receive the words that God has given to us. God is holy and we are sinful. God needed to deliver and redeem a people. It's not just pulling you out of the weight of your sin. It's also setting you free from it and buying your life as his own possession that he may be your God. As we talk about looking to Christ and trusting Christ, if you have not through faith by grace called on Jesus for salvation, I encourage you, please don't wait. Do so today. Lord Jesus, forgive me. I recognize you are holy. I am a sinner. I violate your word. I see the bondage I'm in and I can do nothing to get out of it. 
Lord, save me. And God says he will save all who call on him. Call on Christ today. God still delivers sinners out of bondage, still redeems us by the blood of the land, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he does this cool thing where he takes all of his people that we call Christians and he puts them into a family. Isn't that good news? Except how many families have such disorder among them? Why? Because we're not seeking men of God to lead us. Oh God, that you would raise up elders in your church. Father, that you would give pastors who look to the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, to guide your people. If Robin Dunbar is correct, I'm at my max in this room right now. And every person in this room, every blood-bought, redeemed sinner following the Lord Jesus wants care and instruction. Every one of them. If we don't desire care and instruction, then we probably don't have much of a regard for God's word. And so we have to back up to, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Every person needing guidance, needing help, needing advice, needing counsel, looking to God. Moses and the people of Israel were helped in a greater way by these men coming alongside of Moses. Think about how much more effective we would be as a church if there were more of me more of John Collins, more of whoever he appoints in the future, more and more and more to effectively care. Did you see the number got down too granular in the people of Israel? There's 600,000 men on foot besides women or children. So let's just call them 2.5 for fun. All the way down to tens. That's granular care. All the way down to tens, the people of Israel knew tens, fifties, hundreds, thousands, the whole nation, the people knew they had care. Could you imagine a church where there was greater care for the people of God following the word and ways of God? Moses and the church of Israel helped in a greater way. Imagine how well we would be helped. Imagine how our evangelism would be helped. Imagine how our discipleship would be helped. Imagine how our outreach would be helped. Imagine how our care for one another would be helped. Imagine our proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ for Summer Kids Club would be helped if we had the kind of care that God has designed for his people. Shepherds, pastors, elders, teachers. The Bible says, we heard it this morning, Christ gave to the church shepherds to equip you and me for the work of ministry. To teach them, Titus 1.9 says, sound doctrine. And two, 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and to help the weak. Would you pray with me today? And then we'll sing, and we're going to watch someone be baptized. Heavenly Father, I pray for your church, not just here the village. We praise you for Byron Baptist being with us today. God, thank you that we could worship with them. Father, not just for the village, not just for Byron Baptist, not just for Byron Methodist. Oh God, in your church, would you please, Father, raise up men to care and to teach and to lead that your people, looking to you, united through faith in Jesus Christ, would have peace in this life with one another. Oh God, that we would put down the disputes, that they would be resolved as the word of God works among the people of God. Father, that you would be glorified in a greater way. Oh God, that you would be glorified in a greater way. Father, we pray, raise up men. We are in such a deficit for pastors in our day. Oh Father, raise up men. We see it as your plan God, raise them up from churches. Call them out of pews and into the pulpit. Call them, God, out of their sedentary seat 
to minister and to care for your people. Oh, Father, you are good. We praise you. We glorify you. And we plead with you, Father, please raise up men to lead us from among us. Be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.